A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1 through 15, from the New International Version. Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went out to onto Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of the Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The word of the Lord. So today we are going to be uh, in Acts chapter 16, 1 through 15. Thanks for reading that in the New International Version of the Bible. And we are continuing in the book of Acts, the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church. And today's sermon I've been entitled, Led by the Spirit, Led by Women. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the book of Acts, uh, the gospel of the Holy Spirit, where we see the church moved and led by the Holy Spirit uh, participate in your mission in the world and the spreading of your gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And I pray that this, these words... Uh, will influence us, will teach us, will transform us, will guide us. Um, and may your spirit um, be uh, connecting us together, linking us together, even though we're miles and miles apart. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I'm really excited today to give the word. Um, last week and the week before that, we learned in chapter 15 um, after the Jerusalem Council, uh, the council agrees to um, the testimony of uh, Paul and Barnabas and also Peter and James uh, exhorting them about not having obstacles uh, for the Gentiles to come to Jesus Christ and become followers. And namely, um, circumcision, uh, making uh, non-Jewish people 
uh, be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Um, and so what they do is they write a letter, and they write a letter for Paul and Barnabas to take back to Antioch, uh, to the Antioch church, um, saying, we, we okay this. We hear the amazing things that God is doing and the Holy Spirit is doing, and people following Jesus and being baptized by the Holy Spirit, um, and um, the church growing, and especially Gentiles coming to the faith and being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we affirm that, and we know that that is something that God is doing, and we can't deny that. We can't say no to that. Um, so we're not going to require these things. We're not going to require circumcision. But we do say, we do recommend that you don't eat animals sacrificed to gods, you don't drink animal raw animal blood, and um, there was a, a clause on sexual immorality. Don't practice sexual immorality. So these are the things that are still important to us. These are non-negotiables. Follow these things. But otherwise, welcome to the family. Um, so a positive ending of uh, initial conflict or confusion, Paul and Barnabas talk to the uh, council in Jerusalem and they come to a resolution, um, which is a good example of church organization, the church handling conflict, differences in opinions, and coming to a res rec resolution and discerning a way forward. And so Paul and Barnabas, with this letter, return to Antioch, and it says that the believers there were excited and they celebrated over this news. And so all is good, right, in church land. Um, but then Paul and Barnabas get the itch. They get the missionary itch. If you remember in 14, um, before that, they were sent out of Antioch to be missionaries, to go into Asia Minor, and they, uh, they met new people, and they met uh, new God-fearers who were Gentiles, and people were coming to faith, and churches were being planted, communities of faith were growing, um, and they return, returned back to Antioch. Now, they want to go back out there, and Paul's got this feeling like, I want to go back to all of the churches that we started in Asia Minor, and I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear the testimonies and the stories and the good news of uh, what the gospel is doing and people coming to the faith and more and more and more. The good news of Jesus Christ sp spreading, and I want to encourage the leaders uh, that we left there, appointed to uh, in these communities of faith. And so he's really eager to do that and set off on the second missionary journey. Um, but before they leave, Barnabas is like, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Let's take John Mark. If you remember, John Mark uh, left them before they continued their, on the first missionary journey, before they started their ministry uh, in Asia Minor, John Mark departed from them, and this kind of perturbed Paul. And so it says in the scripture at the end of chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over John Mark. And so they separated. So Paul uh, chooses Silas to be his partner and he begins his journey. So one of the classes I took in seminary uh, was called Pastoral Counseling Across Cultures. Um, and it was one of the best classes I ever took in seminary. Uh, but one of the stories uh, we read, we read a collection of stories or examples of how different towns and different cultures and nations 
uh, small villages, in fact, in uh, Central America and Africa, how they made decisions and how those decisions were made um, culturally um, and uh, differences in gender roles in those decision-making processes. And one of the things that uh, the writers um, pulled or gleaned out was an interesting thing was oftentimes, especially in a patriarchal, uh, like male-led, male-dominated culture, uh, it, were the, it was the males, the men, who stood up and made the official declarations like, this is what we're gonna do in the town. I, this is the decision I make. I'm the, I'm the bottom line. I'm the final decision maker. Um, and so that was one level of how a town began to move in that direction of that decision. But a lot of the underneath stuff, like talking to all of the main families or making sure people understood what was happening was done by the women. So actually, a decision would never be made and actually succeed and happen unless the women, the influential women, were working behind the scenes, underneath, having the conversations that needed to be had and doing all of these things um, behind the scenes that needed to be done in order for the whole town to be in agreement or uh, influenced in the right direction. So you had the figurehead, the male figure as the figurehead who made the official de decision. Everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. But really also the, the real decisions and the real choices were being influenced by the women in the village relationally through relational connection. And this makes me think of some of the dynamic that's happening in Acts. What's happening in Acts is, in 15, you have the Jerusalem Council meeting, right? And they have, there are these apostles and the leaders of the church are meeting together to make this decision about the Gentiles. Can the, can the Gentiles enter the community of faith in Jesus Christ, even if they aren't circumcised? Paul and Barnabas are saying, well, it's happening, and they're being baptized by the Holy Spirit. We've witnessed it, so it can happen. And finally, because of Peter standing up and making his official decree, and James standing up and making his plea, right, and bringing their authority, finally everyone agrees, and they say, let us write a letter. And so they write an official letter to be taken to the church at Antioch and say, this is okay. We say that this is okay. And the Gentiles celebrate all over the place. But what we, what we don't see sometimes is the behind the scenes or the underneath stuff. Yes, you have the establishment. Yes, you have the institution. Yes, you have the uh, great apostles, the apostle Peter and the apostle James, the pillars of the Jerusalem church making these decisions, having this influence, and speaking strongly and authoritatively, but at the same time, you, we witness that Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles, as it's usually called, but it's actually the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because the main mover, the primary mover in the Gospel of Acts is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, um, 
just when people are trying to put structure or just when people are trying to establish order like and tradition this is the way things are and we decree that this is the way things will always be the spirit goes and is on the cutting edge of things and going into new territories right spreading the word pushing the boundaries of the church further and further outward to the Gentiles, to different lands. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 16 is, even though there's this decree from the Jerusalem church, right? Uh, we witness um, that the Holy Spirit affecting um, leaders and changing the direction of people. We see Paul wanting to go into Asia and then next Bithynia, and he's stopped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, tells him, no, don't go there. Don't go into Asia. Don't go into Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there. And finally, when they're like, then where do we go? Paul has a dream, and this dream is of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. But wait, there's something else. Not only is the Holy Spirit like moving underneath and perhaps even God undermining um, the establishment through the voice and discernment of the Holy Spirit, doing new things, adapting, pivoting the church, but also we see the feminine element entering here in Acts. And if you don't read carefully, if you just read uh, the scripture monolithically or with like male eyes or male dominant eyes or uh, whatever, you'll miss um, the chance to recognize how God and the Spirit uses powerful women leaders uh, to push this message um, uh, to the ends of the earth as what the, the Spirit is doing. So, for instance, an example here is in verse 1, uh, the top one through 5, we learn that uh, Paul goes to Lystra where he was stoned. He runs into Timothy, whose mother uh, was Jewish and whose, whose father was Greek. But if you read, remember in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul writing a letter to Timothy encourages him and he recounts he calls on uh, Timothy's grandmother he names Timothy's grandmother and he, he names Timothy's mother and says thanks to them thanks to the faith of your grandmother and the faith of your mother you you have a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and, and we don't know the whole story we don't know if uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother came to the faith in uh, Paul's first missionary journey, or it, it means that they were faithful to God as God fears, as worshipers of God in, in Judaism, and then became Christians later. But we know that Timothy must have been mentored, must have been discipled by his grandmother and his mother. And secondly, there's a foundation of faith within Timothy, a strength of faith within Timothy because of the legacy 
um, that his grandmother and mother left with him. And because of this strength and this legacy, Paul chooses Timothy uh, to go with him um, in his, his continued missionary work. Um, and this is what, this is why Paul chooses him. He sees something in young Timothy. So we read in 9 that Paul has this vision of a man standing in Macedonia, begging them, come over to Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia. But let's read for it. Let's see what, what's going to happen in Macedonia. So they, they decide to go to Macedonia. They go straight away to Macedonia, um, concluding that God was calling them to preach the gospel to them. So verse 11, from Troas, we put out the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neop Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, a Roman colony, and the leading city of this district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Um, so they're in the city, right? They're going off of Paul's vision and the Holy Spirit, they think, right? We're discerning the Spirit of the Lord's doing something. I saw this vision. Nothing's happening. We've been here for three days. We're in Philippi, Roman, a Roman colony, distinctly Gentile, a different culture. They're there several days. And then 13, on the Sabbath, they finally go outside of the city outside of the gate, next to a river. And they expected to find a place of prayer. So oftentimes, synagogues in Gentile cities um, could be found. Uh, there were synagogues in the city, but if there was overflow, they'd build places of prayer, like many synagogues, satellite synagogues. And oftentimes, these satellite synagogues, these places of prayer, would be next to rivers. And uh, because if they need to do ritual cleaning, cleansing, for instance, they could go to the water and people can cleanse themselves ritually, etc., etc. So they expected to find a place of prayer. But when they sat down and began, uh, when they sat down, they started to speak to women because women had gathered there. The women were gathering there praying and listening. We don't know what's going on. Perhaps... Um, it was a body of women worshipers, and perhaps it was led, a synagogue, right? God-fearers and worshipers were being led by women um, in this place of prayer next to the river. Um, and one of those women from the city of Cytherea named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, she was a worshiper of God. And so as Paul is talking with them, praying with them. They get into this conversation with this inquisitive, curious, outgoing um, person of means. Clearly, she's well-dressed. Clearly, she's as wealthy. Uh, she's a leader. She seems to be the leader of this group of women who are worshipers of God. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And she accepts Jesus Christ. She wants to become a follower of Jesus Christ because God moves in her heart. And then in 15 we learn, just like 
if we remember in chapter 10, the centurion, right, hears Peter's message and comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And the centurion had, not just the centurion, but his entire household is baptized, and then they become baptized by the Holy Spirit. The centurion being the first Gentile convert, Lydia here becomes the first European convert, Gentile convert, into the faith. Um, and it's her whole household. And so we, we know in Bible times, we've read in the Gospels and other places in Acts, uh, that one one person, a person who's the head of the household, becomes a Christian or, or converts, oftentimes because they're the head of the household and they have this influence and it's more communal than just individualistic. If they become Christians or follow Jesus or convert to a new faith, it's their sons, their daughters, their wives, you know, uh, their servants, everyone becomes Christian or converts to that religion. And so in context, when we see that she says yes to Jesus, and then she and the members of all of her household were baptized. From that, we gather that she is the head of her household, right? And in this area, in, in Philippi, there were a lot of women, powerful women, whether they're widows or whether they were businesswomen. We know that Lydia here dealt in purple cloth, cloth that was dyed purple, and it was a very kind of luxurious, rich cloth. She was a woman of means. She had a lot of money, a good businesswoman. And we know uh, later as she's in, uh, inviting the apostles to her home and then uh, people, a community of faith begin to gather in her home that she has a pretty large house. So she's rich. She's the head of the household. Um, she's a person of influence. She's a leader. Um, and she invites them to her home and says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She's also persuasive. And also, this is where the Philippian church has its, has its beginnings. The church in Philippi begins in Lydia's home. And if you listen to a lot of commentators or a lot of sermons on this, they may say, oh, this is about good stewardship, how women can be good stewards and offer their resources and their hospitality to the church. But from the text and from the context, we know that Lydia was leading this women, this prayer group by the river of God worshipers. We know that Lydia is the one who speaks with Paul and has the question, asks some questions, gets into deep conversations, and is finally the one who initiates, I want to follow Jesus. And it's Lydia who makes the choice to be baptized and brings her whole household to be baptized. It's Lydia who opens her home to the apostles. It's Lydia who starts the gathering of new believers, a community of new believers in her home. And what's What's so ironic is, do you remember the vision that drew Paul to Macedonia in the first place? It was a vision of a man saying, come to us, a man. It wasn't a woman. 
And so they go to Macedonia, but what they run into is this group of faithful women. And they run into Lydia. And I don't know what that means, what the symbolism of that is. It makes, it makes me ask certain questions like, if Paul had a dream of a woman inviting him to Macedonia, would he have gone? Like, why was it a man and then he discovered a woman? Right? Maybe there were cultural things within Paul that would prevent him from going to Macedonia if it was a woman in his dream asking him to come, come to Macedonia. Maybe he would say, oh, this isn't from God. This is a temptation. Right? Who knows? Maybe a man, God used a man in order to you know, ease Paul into what he was going to step into. But what we read, what we can glean from chapter 16, at, at the top, Timothy, Timothy was who he was because of his grandmother and a mother, the faith of the women in his family. In spite of the ambitious ambition of Paul, his missional ambition to go into Asia, then to go into Bithynia, right? The strategic, like he's playing risk. He's looking at the map and he's saying, if I were to grow this church, I want to go here. I want to stop by here. I, of course, want to go there. I want to shore up the leaders in this area that I stopped by earlier on my earlier journey. And yet, it's the Holy Spirit saying no, guiding them. It's, it's nothing concrete. It's not the strategy or the best practice or the natural um, uh, strategic move. It's the still, quiet spirit, the voice in his heart guiding him and he's being faithful and it's taking him to not so sure places right there's not a plan and then this man this figure of this man inviting him to come to this new place Macedonia but what they find is a community of women and one woman leader right? it's a lot like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, right? Jesus had to go through Samaria, it says in John chapter 4. Like there was no rhyme or reason. He was just led to go through Samaria. And the purpose was of that was to meet a very special woman. And this special woman would talk with Jesus, would have a dialogue with Jesus would relationally connect with Jesus just as Lydia relationally connects and discusses and asks questions of Paul. And she comes to faith. The woman at the well is like, yeah, I want that living water. I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is like, you're, there's gonna be a time when you're gonna worship in spirit and truth. And now is that time. And the Samaritan woman becomes a powerful evangelist, one of the first witnesses of the gospel to Samaritans. Right? She goes into her town, convinces everyone to come follow her and check this Jesus out. 
let me introduce you to Jesus. And the same way, Lydia has a heart transformation, right? She's a strong woman who asks questions, who thinks, who asks the right questions, and finally is satisfied and gives her life to Jesus. And it opens a whole, her household comes to faith, and it opens the way for a whole church to be birthed. The first European convert, a woman, right, was the church planter in Philippi. Amen. Um, in college and undergrad, um, I uh, did a lot of creative writing. I wanted to be a poet. I, I even uh, applied to grad school for a master in fine arts and poetry and was accepted uh, on a, a scholarship, a full ride um, to write poems. And so I, I wanted to be a starving artist and you know, put pen to paper and express myself and grow dreadlocks and wear uh, Birkenstocks. And uh, one of the books that influenced me um, on writing poetry was called Written in Water and Written in Stone. And that image has always stuck to me when it comes to the church and my own faith, that there are things that are written in stone, like the essentials of our faith that are rock solid, you know, that are strong, and we can rely on that. And those things that we hold on to, and there are things that are written in, in, in water, like you can't capture it, you can't encapsulate it for all times. It's in the moment, it's guiding you in real time, right? In the Ark of the Covenant, what was in the Ark of the Covenant, right? There were the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, where God etched the law into stone with his finger. But there was also, what was it, the rod of, uh, the staff of Moses, or Aaron, one of the two. And out of that staff was actually growing a sprout. It was alive, it was organic. Stone and a, a living branch, right? And so it is here in Acts that those two things, the written in stone, the established tradition, is very important. But that's always cycling or in wrestling with the spirit moving the church into new things, into things that are scary or things that are foreign or strange, uh, uh, pushing at the boundaries. And that's what moves us along. Like, we need to establish ourselves. Oh, we need to let go and adapt and pivot. No, we need to establish, like, what do we stand for? No, we need, to, we need to adapt and listen and move in the spirit. And those things are constantly like a wheel going back and forth. And they, it's important that they both exist, just like conflict. Whether that's conflict between Jew and Gentile, that grows, that conflict grows the church. Instead of separating, they wrestle. And that's the, that's the dynamic struggle and tension and conflict that, cre that grows the church right? and stretches it. Yes, it's okay for you to come to the faith and not be circumcised. 
but sexual immorality is still really important, right? There's still things that are not negotiable that you have to follow. It's not, it's not everything goes, right? Yes, right? We have a mission, we have a strategy to reach, make disciples of all nations, to reach this area and this area and this area. It makes sense. Let's expand our ministry. And at the same time, the Spirit says, no, don't go there right now. Actually, go over there. It doesn't make sense. You're not going to meet people who you think would be influencers or people who would make a difference, but I want you to go over there and talk to that person over there and those people over there. We, the Spirit of God. And the last thing that I want to point out from chapter 16 is the Spirit of, the Holy Spirit stops them from going into Asia. And then it says, the Spirit of Jesus stops them from going into Bithynia. And then later on, as they're going into uh, Philippi, it's God, the Spirit of God. So in that passage in of itself, there's all three persons of the Trinity. Um, I don't have any application for that except, you know, there are different persons of the Trinity, Spirit, Son, God, and they're all the same one, the same one God. Um, but we, we respond uh, to those different aspects of God in different ways, and we see that um, in this passage. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Help us to be a people who are willing to drop or change direction or shift our weight because we're listening to you. Our hearts are open and sensitive to your guiding, to your spirit leading us. May we never be so stuck in our ways and our programs and our structures um, that we can't drop everything to follow you. Um, and like Lydia, um, we pray that you continually open our hearts and the hearts of people around us to your word um, to make us amenable to what you're going to do in our hearts and to make um, those who don't believe around us, our neighbors, amenable to your message, to your gospel, and also our witness and our, our care for them. And so I pray for the opening of hearts, uh, for discernment and leading, and uh, the courage and faithfulness um, to take uh, dangerous journeys um, in places uh, that we are not used to or in, in ways that um, may be strange or um, weird for us, but in your plan, makes a lot of sense and um, thank you for uh, the faith of our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers um, those who have gone before us that have helped pave the way for our own walks our own faith our this church uh, to move more strongly in you and we honor our elders in jesus name we pray amen